0: Hi, I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for mm and welcome to the MMM Podcast. I hope you're well and staying safe during this difficult time. My guest today is Dr. Patrice Harris, MD. Dr. Harris, immediate past president of the American Medical Association, which is the largest physician membership organization in the country, was recently named Everyday Health's Medical Editor-in-Chief. We'll speak with Dr. Harris about the state of health media, about her goals for her new role, and more in a moment. But first, as we usually do on this podcast, a couple of brief housekeeping items. Um, MMNM recently published our Health Influencer 50 list, uh, which is the list of the most influential uh, public health advocates and um, uh, other movers and shakers in the industry, and even some celebrities thrown in there as well for good measure. Uh, online, so you can read about that now. And the issue should be hitting your office, uh, or not your office, but your home office, uh, very shortly. Um, and it's uh, it's really a fantastic list, um, headed as you uh, may expect uh, by Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, and uh, as I said, many more interesting um, figures from from the world of uh, of media Uh, and public health. Also, our uh, first media summit uh, for MMM is coming up on November 12th. And with all of the movements happening on the media uh, landscape, uh, this promises to be a fascinating event indeed that will be virtual. And you can read more about that on our website at mmm-online.com forward slash events. Okay, so let's uh, get into the interview here with Dr. Harris. First of all, Dr. Harris, it is indeed a privilege to meet you um you have more than two decades of experience as a national health policy advocate lecturer educator and practicing and clinician you're board certified in psychiatry but um, you know you've you've got a a, a ton of experience uh, to boot so thank you so much for joining us on this podcast
1: well thank you for having me i'm so excited about talking to you today
0: thank you thank you indeed it uh, promises to be a very good uh, very stimulating conversation uh, so you were you were named uh, medical editor in chief at Everyday Health, which is the flagship consumer health and wellness content and engagement uh, solutions brand of the Everyday Health Group. Um, and uh, before that, uh, you completed a one-year term as president of the American Medical Association. Association, excuse me. As we said, and um, this uh, was from June 2019 to June 2020. So that's quite a a tumultuous time uh, to to be president, isn't it?
1: It was. In fact, some of my colleagues said you have had one of the most consequential terms as president of the AMA. And certainly every president makes a huge uh, contribution to medicine, every president of the AMA. Uh, But certainly not every president is president during the time of a pandemic. And uh, I've had the opportunity, I think, to represent our association, but really physicians in general getting the word out about the critical need uh, to ensure that science and evidence and facts are leading at the forefront as we address this pandemic as a country. So it has been quite uh, an eight-month time.
0: <laughs> well said. And uh, yes, as your guiding light, your north star is to, to let the science lead. Um, uh, that, that has been um, certainly uh, not an easy thing to do uh, these past eight months, as we've seen, you know, for, for those like yourself who are, you know, in the trenches, whether whether clinically or in the public health area. Uh, but let's just take a step back and, you know, talk, tell us about, you know, your background, um, you know, personally, to the extent you, you feel comfortable, but also, you know, professionally, in a, and, and then how you branched out after that and how you came to have an interest in, um, in, in the health media side of things as well.
1: Well, I am originally from West Virginia, a small town in West Virginia, Bluefield, West Virginia. My mother was a middle school math teacher, and my father worked on the railroad. I am an only child, um, but had a large extended family, very supportive. And so they were very supportive when I saw a physician on TV, Marcus Welby and and the younger audience members are just going to have to Google Marcus Welby. But, um, (laughs) you know, I saw this doctor on TV and Dr. Welby not only took care of his patients inside the exam room, he took care of his patients outside of the exam room. And I saw that he had a platform, a platform to make a difference. And that appealed to me. And though I had many twists and turns and successes and setbacks along my journey, even to become a physician uh, and ultimately to become the president of the American Medical Association, I can tell you that it's all been worth it. And I have learned uh, so much and I've learned critically about the importance of advocacy. And I will say, as you mentioned, the media platform isn't that such a wonderful, at least to me, full circle, uh, because appreciating platforms and using those platforms for wellness and for health, and particularly for mental health as a psychiatrist, I think is so important. I'm so excited to be able to continue that work at um, Everyday Health.
0: Absolutely. And, and so I, I take you'll be maintaining your uh, clinical work as well,
1: I will, you know, as you read a little bit uh, from my bio, I have a lot of interest and I pursue those interests in alignment with my mission and various venues. And so I will always have as part of my work life, seeing patients, it will vary, it has varied over the time of my 20 plus year career, but I will always see patients because I think and I've said this, that you know physicians have a front row seat. Other health professionals do as well. But physicians have a front row seat uh, to see how many factors, many determinants of health impact our patients, impact our ability to care for our patients. And so I think it's very important to always have that connection with patients. And, and I just love it.
0: Yeah, wonderful. I mean, and you talk about, you know, the need to take care of patients outside of the exam room as well, as our friend Marcus Welby did uh, long ago. Um, And the social determinants of health really um, are, are, you know, what what that's all about. And um, how wonderful, you know, that you um, come to everyday health at this time when mental health, um, is finally, you know, coming out of the closet, as it were, as as such a prevalent problem, and 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 that's been exacerbated by the, by the pandemic, um, as have other things like healthcare inequities um, and and the twin pandemics of COVID nineteen and social unrest. Um, so, but we'll talk about, you know, I'd love to hear more about your plans for using the media platform to. Um, uh, draw more attention to to mental health, but um, just uh, you know, quickly, ha- has health media you think done a good job of uh, of covering all of these? Uh, you know the, the twin pandemics um, and the you know the fact that um, you know the the need for more attention on social determinants of health that kind of thing.
1: Well, I'm going to step back even further and <laughs> talk about media and say that it's been mixed. And um, I would like to um, have you help me out here and define health media, but I would say media overall, of course, has been mixed. I, you know, certain media outlets have been committed, in my opinion, to science and the evidence and the facts, and certain media outlets have not. And, you know, we came into the COVID-19 pandemic with a lot of mistrust and distrust of institutions, uh, a lot of misinformation and disinformation, and so it, I believe, is even more critical now than it has been uh, for health media outlets, any media outlets, to to make sure that. Um, we are providing information that's based on the best science, the best science available. It's not always complete science. Science always is evolving, but the best science available because patients, um, the public uh, need the information to make decisions. And so that's been my commitment. It's been mixed, particularly during this pandemic, but even before. But I think uh, that is an even um, greater uh, opportunity to continue um, the work with all of the wonderful team uh, here mm-hmm. at Everyday Health.
0: Absolutely, no. I, in, in terms of the way um, mm and breaks down health media so to speak um, is you know media we, we think of that about it as consumer oriented health media so your everyday healths and your webMDs and then your professional media your medscapes your your med pages today um, those kinds of, of outlets um, and all of your medical journals.
1: health media as you just defined, I believe certainly uh, have done a good job because we all come into this space uh, appreciating science and the importance of, uh, the ambience.
0: Right. right. And then, you know, healthcare, of course, be- having become a national story over the last eight months to, to a greater extent, um, you saw a lot of regular media, of course, covering the health beat. And I think. Um, that's a great point. I, I forgot to mention that earlier and that, that there were really three pandemics. The third one being this, this in, infodemic of uh, false information out there. And, and um, it really has made everybody in the, in the media space need to double down on fact checking. Um, and um, you know, but the, the velocity um, of information and yeah. change out there has, has not been easy to, to keep up with. So let, let's just talk about, you know, you um, your, your role at, as, at the AMA, um, you know, you were the first Black woman to hold that position. Just curious how, how that impacted your experience as president.
1: Well, I have always felt that it was important for me to bring all of who I am into any of my work, into any position. And I was so pleased to be able to do that as the first Black woman president of the American Medical Association. And One of the many reasons was because I could be tangible evidence uh, that you can be a physician. I can't tell you, and this was uh, often such a meaningful encounter for me when even uh, college students, I would go around the country talking, giving lectures, college students, medical students, residents would just tell me how much, um, how critical it was to see me in this role. And one of the most fun moments I had was when a first grade teacher came up to me and showed me a photo of a little first grader standing beneath my picture, which had been posted on the wall. And they had talked about me during Black History Month. Hmm. And I was just so thrilled and, and honored and 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 unworthy, really. But uh, when you think of all the, you know, we're very humble. But I am, I am, uh, but you know, those were the great moments because um, I knew that um, it was important for me to be tangible evidence, uh, but also, uh, as I said on many occasions, being the first. One of the responsibilities of the first is to make sure you're not the last. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that was just tangible representation of being in the room where it happens. A Hamilton re- re- reference, great musical <laughs> uh, around the decision making, you know, tables and yeah. making sure that equity we will probably talk a little bit about that more. But equity is centered in the conversation, equity and mental health, by the way. I'll just uh, signal something that you said you're going to ask me about. And I'll say this and then let you ask any follow-up questions, but during my inauguration in June of 2019, I said, of course, in addition to the critical and important work of the AMA and the AMA strategic priorities, I wanted to amplify three things. And the first was the importance of mental health um, and its integration of mental health into overall health. The second was the importance of diversity in the physician workforce, but not just as a check mark to really um, move us toward health equity in this country. And the third was childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And so all of those issues, again, none of us would have wished this pandemic on our world, uh, but certainly all of those issues, trauma, uh, health equity, diversity, mental health uh, have been elevated during the COVID-19. Teen pandemic let's just say i think we all know as you you know and your audience knows these were issues that were there pre-pandemic but certainly they've been amplified uh, since the pandemic
0: absolutely yes um, mental health diversity um, and trauma um, you were let's just say you were very prescient uh, when you set your goals uh, for your presidency uh, but since we're on the topic um, you know what were your proudest achievements uh, during your presidency
1: I think it's been the opportunity to um, change the narrative, or or if not change the narrative, at least impact the narrative. And, And I would say that in April, I gave an address. And it was an address about the need for science and the evidence and the facts. Now, listen, I was not the only person talking about that. And so I will just say part of that has been, but this was an early address early in the pandemic and the narrative, uh, again, with all of the other folks in the public health world, the medical uh, world uh, really coalesced around those three things. And so I, uh, believe that was an important accomplishment. And of course, that was not my own. That was an accomplishment of the community, community, of course, of the AMA, and the, but the community of physicians and public health uh, leaders. And I will say, although this was not an accomplishment during my presidency, I also, uh, for many years, have chaired the AMA's Opioid Task Force. Mm-hmm. Well, again, teamwork, work of wonderful AMA staff and all of the other physician leaders around this country changing the narrative about the importance of treatment and the importance of really appreciating the context of the opioid epidemic, which, by the way, actually we now uh, use the term overdose epidemic because, you know, we see new substances here. So, you know, there's a theme there, and that has been my participation in Uh, But uh, having the platform to uh, impact the narrative, to make Mm -hmm. sure that folks are getting well-sourced, trusted information.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Again, you're being very modest, but it sounds like you put the organization in fantastic position to really be effective, you know, by focusing it on those three goals, um, you know, in terms of the opioid task force uh, and changing the narrative there, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed uh, industry people, at least people on the industry side were, were struggling with in, in terms of getting their arms around the opioid epidemic and now the, the overdose epidemic was maintaining the flow of painkillers to people who need chronic pain medication, but still Um, uh, reducing, you know, the um, amount of, uh, you know, unnecessary prescribing that was going on the pill mills and so on and so forth. Do you feel, you know, from your position that, um, you know, we've been able to achieve that, you know, that we've, we've seen a steady decline in in prescriptions, right. uh, For, for opioids, you know, what's your state of the state on, on the opioid epidemic or the the overdose epidemic at this point in this country? Well,
1: We have seen a decline in prescription opioids, but unfortunately, most of the overdoses and the overdose deaths are due to illicitly manufactured fentanyl and fentanyl analogs and uh, heroin and methamphetamine and cocaine. And so we need to make sure that we are laser focused on the need for equitable access to treatment evidence-based treatment. And of course, when we are talking about opioids, we are talking about um, medications to assist treatment. Uh, But clearly, we need to talk about the broader issue around treatment and make sure that there's equitable access to treatment. And uh, that treatment is evidence-based. So unfortunately, we have also seen a negative impact on patients who always took their pain medicines on, you know, on time and as prescribed Um, and in the context of what I call sort of one size fits all blunt policy uh, and other regulations. uh, We've seen some patients um, really negatively impacted in their ability to get the pain care um, that they need. And we have also not seen, the concomitant, concomitant increase in alternatives to opioids, right? And I'll say increase to access to alternatives to opioids. So really, when we look at the context, we still have a ways to go before Mm -hmm. folks have equitable access to treatment for their pain and for an opioid use disorder and for substance use disorders in general. But, but we have shut down the pill mills and I, and I'm glad you mentioned the pill mills because pill mills were a critical piece of where a lot of folks access their opioids. Um, and we never did get the data to see, um, you know, the, the ratio, if you will. And, and I'm not sure at this point it's important, but in the beginning, I think it would have been the ratio of pill mills to, uh, you know, those uh, the physicians who were prescribing, um, you know, appropriate, you know, with the best knowledge that they had and not without any um unethical or illegal intent. But at any rate, we saw those shut down. That's certainly where law enforcement had a role to play. Uh, but now what we need to do is make sure we we have a sustained uh, infrastructure, surveillance. Uh, we need to have sustained funding uh, so that we are not running and jumping from crisis to crisis. I always say we typically... A lot of times, Kareen, from crisis to crisis, but we need to have, a, I think, a, a proactive, sustained framework to address, you know, substance use disorders, but the mental health infrastructure in general, which, as you know, and your audience knows, has been underfunded and under resourced, woefully so for decades.
0: Yes, yes, and I love how you put an equity angle on the on on that point as well, and that the. um there needs to be equal access, you know, to whatever kinds of treatment we're talking about. Um, but, um, you know, speaking of that, obviously, as you pointed out, um, the pandemic has exacerbated uh, the racial healthcare care disparities uh, that have been going on in this country for, for so long. Um, and the African-American community, the Hispanic community, um, th- these communities were, were hit harder. Um, you know, the uh, rate of infection was higher. The mortality rate was higher. What can health media do to to address that?
1: Well, I would say, first of all, by naming it, right, and naming these issues, though sometimes they are difficult to talk about. And not only naming these issues, but leading conversations or stimulating conversations in full context. Because again, you said it so eloquently, we saw COVID-19, we see COVID-19 disproportionately impacting black and brown communities, uh, but pre-COVID-19, we saw hypertension, we saw diabetes, some forms of cancer, uh, we saw lack of equitable access to treatment for those who have a mental disorder, and of course, I, I include substance use disorders in that broad uh, category, but um, We have been seeing an increase in the number of black youth, black and brown youth, but black youth particularly who are dying by suicide and attempting uh, suicide. So we really do the health media really has to um, have these conversations in full context, talking about structural racism and those structural determinants of health in addition to the social, we have to get even further upstream. Why do we have inequitable access to transportation and healthy fruits and vegetables and living in communities besides um, industries that are polluting the air and the water? Why do we have? And so we have to go a little further upstream. So I think health media can play a role in making sure Uh, We continue to name, and by the way, we have a lot on our to-do list. Uh, You know, COVID is really adding a lot on our to-do list, and it will be up to health media to make sure that these issues remain on the front burner, and they Mm -hmm. remain a priority because there will, again, be a lot of things on our to-do list after we get through the acute phase of covid and sometimes we forget some of these issues when we are on the uh, on the other side of an acute crisis. And so I think that will be so important uh, for public health media to do. And I wanted to make one more point uh, because I always have to make this point regarding the opioid use disorder and equity. And that is, uh, you know, in the 80s, um, when uh, most of the folks who um, were affect- affected and impacted, Um, and had substance use disorder who were black and brown, our country's response was incarceration. And, um, you know, as the opioid epidemic evolved, because it was a problem back then, and it was mainly middle class and upper middle class white families who were impacted, um, you know, our response was treatment. Now, as a psychiatrist, I am so happy for that response, right? But I think again, it's so important to make sure we are having these conversations in their full context, um, so that we can move forward um, with that information in mind.
0: Let's just uh, touch on uh, you know mental health for a second. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, COVID has been a catalyst for all things telemedicine um in terms of um you know insurance companies uh reimbursing for it uh, the government um easing the uh interstate uh licensure guidelines allowing physicians to 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 take part in, in telemedicine um and just the overall consciousness of of the american people in terms of being able to talk to a doctor uh, online sometimes asynchronously sometimes it's just a survey um some some of the, the way some of the telemedicine portals work but um You know, given your um, psychiatry background, curious to get your take on what mental health care will look like going forward.
1: Well, there's no question that we will be in a transform normal. That's what I, uh, the term I like to use, a phrase I like to use, transform normal. Again, we are guests. You could argue in a transform normal now, but when we get on the other side of the crisis, and clearly telemedicine, telehealth um, has. expanded uh, more rapidly than I think. I think certainly COVID-19 has accelerated adoption of telehealth, and and that's a good thing. That, that's a good thing. It's an important piece of the puzzle, but you will um, always find me pushing back on sort of panacea, one-size-fits-all, magic wand solutions. I think um, that it's going to be a critical tool in the toolbox. I was already using uh, telepsychiatry in my practice, but I have to tell you, it didn't work. Some of my patients didn't prefer it. Actually, they, they said, oh, no, Dr. Harris, okay, we'll do it for every now and then, but you know, I want to see you sometime. And so it, it doesn't work. And I always tell this story as a psychiatrist. I think uh, when I walked to the waiting room and Get my patients and walk back with them to the exam room. I'm watching their gait, right? I'm watching those little things because some of the medications I prescribe or some of the other illnesses conditions they have may uh certainly impact the medications that I prescribe, and so I want to know all of that. I'm looking at their necks because I'm looking at their thyroid, you know I mm. so these are the things that um, I think people don't understand. And of course, the technology will get better and better and we will get better and better. So I am very, uh, of course, excited about the promise and the potential uh, for telehealth. Um, I do think, though, again, uh, you know, more folks are adopting it. And I think it's it's helped. Uh, people don't always have transportation, uh, you know, to get uh back and forth to their um, their appointments, their mental health appointments. Um, but I would say, again, because I always, I like to um, always think through the unintended consequences, not because I don't want to do something, but because I want to make sure that something that we do works. And so I think that what we should do um, is look at data. Um, you know, when we get and on the other side again, and, and look at what worked and look, and what didn't work, there will be some things that we might not want to continue. Certainly we're so glad that payers are paying for this. And actually during this time, payers even paid for telephone visits. And think about that, that was critical because not everyone had a data plan. I mean, we've seen this. And so, you know, sometimes we, uh, we develop these solutions assuming that people have transportation and a data plan and, um, you know, a cell phone, right? Uh, and so I think what we'll have to do and what we should absolutely do is look at what worked, what didn't work. Uh, but clearly uh, we are so glad that payers are are paying for this and it needs to be pay parity, by the way. Uh, but we'll work through all of that. Those are fair-minded uh, conversations that we should have. And the only other piece I will mention, which is even more critical, I think, with uh, patients who, who I see um, is we have to make sure privacy and confidentiality are paramount. Uh, because mm-hmm. we, do, we do know that uh, sometimes medical information is is misused, right? And, and not used in the way it's intended. So we should have conversations about privacy and confidentiality as we are embracing uh, this new technology. So I, I look forward to having these conversations and uh, continuing to use technology. You know, there are a lot of apps out there, but not every app, you know, is a good app. And, you know, the American Psychiatric Association has a project, actually the AMA does too, but broader, not just um, app, mental health apps. Looking at these apps and making sure there's some quality assurance, right? Because anyone can develop an app or any smart young person, not me. But the, the key is, you know, does that app improve Uh, outcomes make people healthier well um and does not detract from that or you know uh invade privacy and confidentiality so so i'm excited about um you know where we're going and the opportunities there
0: yeah absolutely important considerations uh, for technology uh, for sure um uh, what are your priorities uh, for your new role at everyday health
1: well, certainly I want to work with the amazing team, uh, some of whom I've had to meet already again to give voice. I think I think there's such an opportunity to, again, make sure uh, that the audience, uh, the listeners, the readers uh, have access to information that they can use uh, to um increase their health and their wellness. And of course that includes their mental health and wellness. Uh, It's actionable information, but it's information that is trusted and is based on science. So I I think that is my number one and overarching uh, goal.
0: Just fit to finish off here. Um, You know, America's pandemic response has been criticized Um, for someone uh, who's been in the public health sphere um, and is um, uh, used to um, having that, being in that role of, um, you know, um, creating policy, um, which is, you know, sometimes in an exact science, um, if you will, uh, but not easy to translate, you know, public health principles into consumable uh, directives, if you will, for the public. Um, but also someone who appreciates the need to be science-led uh, and to uh, draw from, from your clinical background and, and the rest of it. What, what's the way forward, you know, especially as it pertains to caring for the hardest-hit people, you know, the, the, the black and brown communities, um, which you astutely pointed out, have been uh, hardest-hit here?
1: Well, I think the way forward is a coordinated approach, uh, a coordinated approach to data, data that is collected in a standardized way regarding race and ethnicity and gender and age and zip code, because we need to collect the data uh, in order to prioritize actions. Um, We also need to be community focused. You know, you heard me earlier today talk about equity and we should be centering equity and we should be centering the community and individuals and patients um, to make sure we are meeting people where they are. You know, I'm, I'm part of a group here in, in Atlanta. We've been working for several years. Um, it's a regional collaborative on health um, improvement, Archie. And we talk a lot about the concept of inverting the burden, navigating systems and not just health systems but navigating health systems and transportation systems and the educational systems and the system to even uh, you know put you on a path of home ownership or you know stable housing those are all very um, difficult to navigate sometimes and so we should be about the business of inverting the burden and again that's a phrase we look mm. here meet people where they are and make the right thing to do, the easy thing to do and put the burden on systems. And those of us who lead systems or have a health media platform, we should be doing all that we can uh, to invert that, be a part of, because it's no one person system entity, but be a part of solutions that are all of society approaches, meet people where they are, ask them what they need, being respectful of cultures, of different cultures and narratives Mm -hmm. and all that we can to invert the burden away from the individual patient, family, client, you know, and on to us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so smart. You know, I think a lot of um, problems that we see, pardon me, in the healthcare system can all come down to that need to invert the burden, you know, and uh, reduce the friction, if you will, is, is kind of the, the phrase that you hear a lot of the healthcare startups use, uh, and and changing the front door of medicine, uh, as as the late great Bernard Tyson used to say, um, and I heard him speak um, at the HLTH conference in Las Vegas, which was one of his last public exp- uh, appearances, but. In terms of um, ma- making, you know, reducing that that burden to 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 use the healthcare system, and I think, um, you know, that that is a very wise words indeed. Well, um,
1: and I, you know, and I think yeah. we should broaden what even we we even call the healthcare system. I mean, you know, in some conversations, we need to be clear. We may be talking about the d- traditional healthcare system, but mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of business leaders over the course of you know last several years that I've been in in leadership at AMA and I talked to them about um, the, the city planners and, you know, their, their own businesses and their own employees. Um, They are a part of the healthcare system. I said, you know, sometimes as a business, you thought your only connection was purchasing, but really it's broader than that. So, you know, I believe Mm -hmm. everyone should consider themselves a part of the healthcare system or the wellness system, whatever you want to call it. But I think everyone needs to own a part of that.
0: Absolutely. We, we often forget that, um, but we couldn't do it without, you know, everybody's help. So um, they should all certainly be considered healthcare, uh, part of the healthcare system for sure. Um, well, Dr. Harris, I want to thank you for this. Um, it's been such an honor and privilege to talk to you. You have been, you know, not only in positions of leadership, but you have used those instrumental positions to, um, to, to the fullest uh, and to really positively impact a public health, uh, during such a critical time. Um, and it's really, um, very Im- so impressive, um, uh, to, to hear. And, 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 again, just, just a privilege to talk to you and get your views on, on the situation. So thank, thank you once again, I appreciate it. And, and all our listeners really do.
1: Well, thank you so much. It was my pleasure.
0: Great. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, that'll do it uh, for another episode of the amendment and podcast. Um, if, if you like this, uh, podcast as as much as i did uh, please like us uh, please uh, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts help others discover the show Um, and uh, once again want to thank dr harris Um, congratulations on your new role Uh, wishing you the best of success at everyday health Um, and uh, thank you everybody out there for listening and we'll see you next time on the mmn podcast take care everybody